What's up, everyone? Thanks for tuning into the Crypto Commission podcast. Today's guest is Nick Patel, author of the Altcoin Traders Handbook. Awesome conversation here. I hope you guys are ready to learn because we sure did. This was great. We are so appreciative of Nick making the time for us and just teaching us his ways. This guy is a wealth of information. So we hope you all enjoy. You can find us on iTunes at the Crypto Commission podcast. Leave us a five-star rating and a comment. Help us get the message out there. And also on Twitter, you can follow us at Let's Talk Coin. Come engage with us there. We've just launched our Telegram channel. There you can find us. It's t.me forward slash crypto underscore commission. And also uh, we have just launched a Discord. So we'll put the link for that in our Twitter, so you can join there and engage with us there. We're, we're really looking to build some quality relationships at a deeper level through there, uh, talking trades, talking TA and FA, uh, and just getting to know uh, what the community is doing and all of us helping each other move forward in the space. So anyways, guys, let's get it going. Episode seven of the Crypto Commission podcast with special guest, Nick Patel. Welcome to the Crypto Commission podcast. Here are your hosts, Lambo Leo and the Bitcoin Broski. Hey everyone and welcome to the Crypto Commission podcast. Today we are joined by none other than Nick Patel and uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're excited to have Nick on the show. It's going to be a good time. Uh, I am your co-host the Bitcoin Broski here with my co-host Lambo Leo. Say what's up, man. What's going on, guys? So Nick, how you doing, man? I'm good. Thank you for having me on. Hey, thanks for coming on. You know, we're excited to have you. Uh, as as I mentioned a moment ago, uh, Leo and I have really learned a lot from your book. Um, so we're excited to hopefully share that with the people that's, listening. That's always good. <laughs> there you go, man. So how how did that foray into uh, into writing start? What was it that that led you to want to write a book? Um, so when I was younger, um, I had two uh, main aspirations. One was I wanted to be a marine biologist. And I sucked at biology. So that was never, <laughs> ever, ever going to happen. Um, and the other thing, which I was good at, luckily, was writing. So I was always um, interested in English literature. And that was the class I then took on to university where I got a degree in. Um, and uh, yeah, from there, I, I've just been fascinated by writing in general, by reading, all of that sort of stuff. And it just seemed like a natural progression to take something that I was doing as a job and that I was also passionate about and uh, combined the two. Awesome. And uh, how how did your your journey into crypto start? I understand uh, your, your dad, did your dad have a trading background? Yeah, well, he was um, he was a sort of equities and uh, all, the, all the serious stuff. He was into, <laughs> the, you know, commodities and stuff like that. But I was, I kind of separated myself away from it and I never really took um advantage of having someone uh well versed in financial markets and you know it's it's probably a mistake to to uh neglect that but I'm, i think i learned through my own mistakes because of it but yeah he was um he, he was doing i mean he'd been doing it for about 10 years at the time or, or eight years or something like that um but i just happened upon the dogecoin subreddit on uh on the internet as i was just having a browse and that's how I kind of got sucked into the space. So jumping into the the Dogecoin subreddit, how how did that evolve into? I mean, basically the breadth of knowledge that you have now. What what did that progression look like for you? Yeah. So when I mean when I found the the subreddit, I had no idea what Bitcoin was. So I, I had no preconceptions of uh, of cryptocurrencies. It was a completely alien concept to me. Um, so just coming across this this web page um, devoted to 
a digital currency that's centered on sort of anime dogs was the weirdest <laughs> thing was the weirdest thing and i was never into anything like that when i was when i was a teenager so it wasn't even like oh this looks cool i'm drawn in by it it was more like this is bizarre what is it um and uh but the community was really open in uh sort of getting pe new people to understand what they were about and i think that was the major draw um and and then you know a couple of weeks later after having questions answered about about dogecoin i was then starting to be given sort of tips online where you would get you know a thousand dogecoin which would be worth you know less than a penny um but it's just crazy i thought it was crazy at the time that someone on the internet could randomly give me money and it wasn't fiat <laughs> um yeah so i was like wait how is this working um so i downloaded i then downloaded um the dogecoin wallet um for my pc and i was like right this is super weird and yeah, I, yeah and I, I just had no idea what i was doing and eventually it got to the point where i was like right i just need to google what all of this is and, and figure it out and uh as the new year turned um in sort of two, 2014 it would have been because I, I found the dogecoin reddit in december 2013 so the new year turned and i, and I started getting more into interested in it and uh, that's when I came across Bitcoin. I was like, ah, right. So this is what everything sort of revolves around. Um, and it wasn't then until February that I decided, oh, this is something I can make money in if I get good at it. Or, you know, as it turned out, you didn't even need to get good at it to make money at that point. <laughs> so we like to see the progression of how people transform, you know, from the beginning of their investing and trading and yeah. the improvements that they've made. From that, from that first initial buy at Dogecoin, how'd you, how'd you kind of maneuver and figure out, you know, you know what you were doing basically? <laughs> I mean, at that point, you obviously didn't know much about the space, right? So no, I had I had no idea about fundamentals of the space. I had no idea about the tech. I had no idea about charts and technical analysis. So I was starting from zero on all three fronts, um, and sort of it was it was kind of um just trial and error to begin with and and also when i started my twitter account um in Mo early march or late uh, february 2014 um i found a bunch of other people who were involved in the space and i was kind of just imitating them and, and looking at what they were doing and oh they said this is a good buy let me buy it who were your um, favorites back then were they the same guys that are pretty the same guys, guys. Same it's all guy. the same guys so i've been speaking to Sicarius, um, Noose, Nita uh, Coin, Crypto Cobain, Not So Fast. Um, all of these people, uh, Angelo, all of these people were involved um, from back in, in those days. Um, and they were sort of the, the figureheads even at that time um, when I was completely new. Uh, so I was kind of just imitating what they were doing and, and ha having some forming some sort of dialogue with them where... I would find out what their thought process is. But to be honest, to begin with, it was more what lights are flashing on the screen, especially on MintPal, which was such a visually visually attractive uh, exchange. I was looking and going, right, okay, this is flashing green. That looks cool. I'm going to buy that. What um, exchange was that? Did you say MintPal? MintPal. Yeah, that was the original sort of 
big crypto exchange because we had we had other exchanges before it. There was um, Crypto Rush, uh, Cryptsy, all of these exchanges which are now defunct and, and ended up in scams. But MintPal was the main exchange at the time um, and where most of 2014's um, mega pumps um, were at in the same way that Bittrex and, and Binance and Polo um, occupy that space or occupied that space in 2017. Uh, MintPal was the sole, um, sole sort of destination for volume at the time. Um, and it was just really visually attractive. So you would, and very easy to use. So I would sort of get blinded by the green and red flashing lights on there. Um, and I would, and you know, I, I detail in my book, the first coin that I bought was um, Maza coin. Uh, <laughs> and I bought it right at the top. It's got staying power. It. Yeah, and I, <laughs> and I held, held it down. Uh, I think it was like 70%. And I'd gone in with all of my capital pretty much. So <laughs> I began with, you know, I had to get a 3x just to get back to where I was. Um, so yeah, it, it started off well. Can you, so that mindset, I think there's a lot of people that, I mean, by now, a lot of people view HODL as a meme almost, but can you yeah. explain the mindset of when you are, when you're, when you're going down, when the, the coin is dropping, you're at a 30, 40, 50% loss. What is your mindset? How does that shift when you see a coin start to bleed? I think the mindset is different at different <clears throat> stages of your trading career. So now holding on to a position um, for 50, 60%, a 50 60% drop is okay for me because I've calculated that already and I've you know the way I might approach certain trades is with a fixed risk approach where I have you know half a percent of my entire capital goes into this one altcoin and if it goes to shit it goes to shit but the likelihood is if I've done my fundamental research well and uh, and it's technically sound then it's probably going to do you know a 5 or a 10x and that half a percent quickly becomes two and a half to five percent of your portfolio which is quite a big win um whereas back then you have no idea about what i just said um and when you see it going down 50 60 percent you're like well i don't want to take this loss um and i can see all the other coins are going up so maybe this coin might go back up again and back then everything was even more volatile because there was no liquidity whatsoever and the market caps were like $10,000 for every coin. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, seriously, like, I think like 80,000 was a, a, a large cap coin. Um, and yeah, so it was it was very, very volatile and, and the pumps came swift. So you'd be up and down within 24 hours. Um, and yeah, I just kind of got swept away by that and bought in at the top for those first two, three trades. Um, and held all the way down until the point where I was like, well, I need to sell now. Otherwise, I'll, I'll have nothing. So when it comes to that, I mean, I think the the one thing I pulled from from that answer more than anything is just risk management, right? Not not Absolutely. going so heavy into into one project or, you know, having that fanboy status where you'll put 20, 30, 40 percent of your portfolio into one shitcoin. Yeah, it's ridiculous, um, especially when there's such an abundance of opportunity in the space. You know, we've got 1800 coins on coin market cap and yeah, probably 1600 of them suck. But um, 200 good projects is still 200 good projects. You don't need to pump half your capital into one project because you, you become a fanboy. So how do you how do you find the 200? 
Um, through a very, very long filtering process, as I detail <laughs> in the book, you know, it yeah. takes me it takes me forever because I start out with so many coins. You know, you have eighteen hundred on coin market cap, and if I'm filtering by market cap to begin with, and I'm looking for coins between a million and ten million, which is essentially a sort of low to mid cap project, um, you've still got you know nearly eight hundred coins or nearly a thousand coins. That's a that's a lot to filter through, and then I'm going okay out of these. Uh, what about the coin supply? I don't want coin supplies that are, you know, billions and billions, and I don't want coin supplies that are like seven coins because um, <laughs> it just skews the prices and then the order book becomes very difficult to read. So right. I tend to look in the middle ground. You know, you want maybe 100 million coins is a good amount. So then I'm filtering for that. And, and I think I just I whittle it down step by step until I have probably 40, 30 or 40 coins left. And those are the ones that I'll, I'll I'll write down in a little journal, and I'll keep track of. And I might not buy all of them, but those are the projects I deem fundamentally sound and technically sound. So going so, in, oh sorry, go no, go ahead, going Chris. into that, going into that a little bit. You know, some people just base their trades off of looking into fundamental analysis, and some people are the opposite, and they don't like looking into fundamentals at all. How much yeah. of each goes into your trading style okay so when when i was in in 2014 when i finally started to understand what i was doing a little bit i still was not really paying attention to fundamentals it wasn't until 2017 came um and i'd obviously come back off finishing my uni degree and i was like right i want to get involved in the space again um that i realized okay these projects are not like the ones back in 2014 or 15 these are very sort of interesting ideas and you know you've got big teams of like 30 developers and stuff like that so i was like okay maybe now i need to start paying more attention to the fundamentals of the of these projects and since then what i've done is pretty much it's pretty much sort of 60 40 on on you know 60 percent i'm looking at the chart and 40 percent i'm looking at fundamentals so it, it is quite a significant part of my analysis now um, the one thing I'd say is that I'll, I will never, ever take a trade solely on fundamental analysis, because if the chart isn't lined up correctly, then it doesn't matter how good your fundamentals are. Price can still come plummeting down. Whereas the, the flip side of that is I, I could take I could you know hypothetically take a trade on a technically perfect chart without even bothering about its um, fundamentals, because a lot of those um, will still pump regardless of fundamentals. It doesn't really work the other way around. You know, I heard you say that something similar before and a couple of months ago, I think it was. And that was, uh, I mean, for me, I'm not a I'm not a professional trader. I, I'm not an expert uh, in any stretch of the imagination. But hearing you say that, it gave me some perspective because I've always been yeah. a, a heavy FA guy, uh, yeah. mostly out of uh, out of ignorance and and the lack of, of time to focus on TA. But that really it shared some perspective to where i was able to start looking at things better and i've had some some <laughs> moments that were saved because of that so yeah it's very important i think to to add that that layer to it uh you mentioned back in a previous answer uh, order books and i know that in your book you talk about that being a a, a massive tool in your arsenal so yeah. what uh what does that that process look like when you're when you're looking at an order book how are you gauging whether or not that's going to indicate a trade you want to enter or not. Um, so more recently, I have 
been using order books a little bit less, um, but I still, I don't tend to base an entire trade on them. What I do use them for is monitoring positions I'm already in um, and trying to get a feel for what the underlying, you know, market maker, quote unquote, is, is, is doing and, and, and is setting up. So what I, what I tend to do is monitor, say, if I'm looking at um, 10 coins and I'm already invested in five of them, um, what I might do is, uh, you know, screenshot the, the order book from day to day at varying times um, and then cross compare those and see, okay, where have the big orders moved? Where were they originally? Um, I'm looking for, you know, sort of clean orders that, that feel like sort of robot orders. You know, they're like bot orders mm-hmm. that have just been placed in and will be pulled um, potentially over the course of a week. Um, and really, it's mainly just having some sort of framework for a potential bull cycle. It, it gives me some sort of skeleton um, to work with where I can then incorporate my targets Um my sell targets, because if I'm looking at, you know, purely technicals or fundamentals for sell targets, but then the order book is telling me that a lot of um, the current price action is to to push price towards um, somewhere that's nowhere near my, my, my price targets. You know, if I'm looking, let's say, to make it clearer, let's give an example of, um, I think I use Ubik in the, in the book, so let's just go with that. Mm-hmm. Let's say I'm, I have a technical target of 25,000 Satoshis, but in the order book, most of the large orders are stacked around sort of 18,000 to 20,000. I have a potential of missing my target because I haven't been paying attention to where these orders are stacked in the book. Um, So yeah, I tend to to use it for that more than actually entering, entering a trade in the first place. Gotcha. Okay. So uh, with the market the way that it is now, (laughs) bloody though it may be, how how has your strategy changed? What's what does that look like now on a day in day out basis? Are you still looking to enter trades? What's the what's the strategy from here? Yeah, so my um, my strategy doesn't really change between uh, bull or bear markets because all I all I tend to do is become more um, cautious, more on the line of sort of capital preservation. So I won't be you know just buying all sorts of micro caps because I think, oh, this looks fun and looks like it could pump 10x because it's likely not going to in the near future. Um, so I'm much more wary with my capital, but my strategy doesn't change at all. I'm still looking for the same signs. Um, I'm still monitoring rich lists. I'm still looking at the order books and I'm still looking for sort of accumulation ranges to form after these long drawn out bear cycles end. Um, in terms of what I'm doing right now with positions I'm already in, I'd already calculated my risk to begin with when I entered those positions. So really it's just a, a situation of, of waiting it out for me. Um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. Nice man. So where, uh, where do you feel we're headed? What's the, what's the, the market sentiment in your opinion right now? I think the market sentiment is extremely confused going off the, uh, <laughs> three, did, you, did, did either of you see the three polls I've put up today? Uh, yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I participated. <laughs> they they were hilarious. Um, I think no one knows anything about anything at the moment, myself included. Um, but what I would say is that it feels to me, I think a lot of it is obviously based on on what Bitcoin decides to do. And we're at this point where it could get much, much more ugly very quickly, or we could end up with what is 
in effect a quadruple bottom. So I think we kind of hang we're kind of hanging on this precipice here, where if we fail to close, you know, the daily or the weekly below six thousand again for the fourth time, I think we closed once below um, five thousand nine hundred and forty or something like that. Mm-hmm. But if we fail to do it for a fourth time and and kind of stay under that, then we're going to get the mother of all bounces. It's just not even questionable. Um, but the flip side of that is that if we do close through there and it's the fourth time of of hitting against that support level, it's going to fall very quickly. And there's liquidity under five thousand four hundred, um, which has been sitting there since August two thousand seventeen, I think. And I've had that sort of double bottom marked out as a potential level which we might retrace to at some point. And it just seems that yep, it's it's inevitable now. Um, That's so, so exciting. I'm sorry. Maybe I'm the only person who's like, <laughs> I, I would love, I would love to be able to get get some corn for that price. Yeah, no, I agree, and I think you know, I think a lot of people's estimates, um, I think on both sides, you know, people at the top were like, oh my god, this is going to a hundred thousand this run. You're like, shut up, you idiot. Um, and then <laughs> there's people now going, oh, this is going back below one thousand dollars. You're like, shut up, you idiot. What what, what do these what do these people think? Um, it just doesn't really make sense. Uh, I think the deepest we'll go is sort of three and a half to to four k. I can't really see us going under four k to be honest. Um, but I would love to buy some around that level as well. Um, but in terms of of alts, if if we do start going that low, I wouldn't be surprised to see further sort of alt bleeding, um, new all time lows on on lots of coins. Um, but then there will have to be a point where they do stop and they bounce because if they just keep going to zero, then there's no markets left to be played. And these are very, very profitable markets to play. So there has to be some point where Bitcoin might continue going down, but alts kind of slow in their capitulation. So that's the sort of sign I'm looking for. Well, and I think a lot of the people that you mentioned at the beginning of, of this podcast as people that you bounce ideas off of, uh, they went from being traders at the beginning to now massive players in the market. Um, yeah. What what are what are their thoughts? Like how how are they viewing things? Are are a lot of them just on crypto retirement? Or are they still playing markets? What's I think a lot of them have a very similar mindset to me, wherein you know some you know a couple of them are sort of crypto retirement where they're just not really bothered about the market at the moment. But a lot of them are like this is quite a good opportunity for um, us to experience you know gains like we did in early 2017 and also in you know january 2018 of you know january of this year um if you took profits that is <laughs> right um, but uh i think most people are looking at it as an opportunity more than anything else i don't think anyone that i bounce ideas off with is worried about anything whatsoever um obviously there there is that you know hindsight is 2020 and everyone would have sold everything in January and would be looking to start scaling in over the next couple of months if if life were perfect but that's not the way it works and most of us um most of the people I've spoken to myself included um you know we cashed out enough to make sure that we're okay for the next two to three years um to wait out whatever bear market may come in in January um so I think we're all sort of just waiting it out and and sort of anticipating a near near reversal. I don't think it's going to be, you know, another eight months of bear market. I don't think we'll see sort of a twenty fifteen to sixteen scenario where we're in, yeah, where we're in two years of of bear market. But 
I personally feel like it will be over before the end of this year. I'm with you. That's just that's just me. I, I don't think it will last longer than 12 months. Yeah. Nice. So uh, my next question is a fun one we like to ask. Um, and we obviously seem to get a lot of similar answers in regards to crypto Twitter and things like that. But if you could give us one thing you lo love about the space and one thing that you hate about the space. Oh, uh, <laughs> I think I think my answers are pretty much the same but just inverse for both questions. So what I love is the community and what I hate is the community. Um, <laughs> because you have the most generous and kind as, as I've experienced myself, um, people in the space who are genuinely coming from a place where they want to help other people who, you know, suffered a shit time or uh, experienced some sort of, of injury in, in any way. Um, and then you also get the people, especially now that the space has become so big and it, it's obviously inevitable, you get just the douchebags who just want to wind people up for no reason. And, you know, each to their own, it's, it's up to them if that's what they want to spend their, their time doing. But I've definitely felt the space become more bitter and resentful over the past, not even, not even during this bear market, but over the last sort of 18 months, even since sort of, August 2017, yeah, the, the last year, in fact, August 2017. Since then, it, it's been sort of a gradual descent into more bitterness than it ever was. And that's obviously a case of it's growing so exponentially that that's just going to happen when you get so many people with such contrasting personalities, and despite it, their, despite right. their, their, you know, the, the passion that they both sh both share. In addition to probably Bitcoin going to 20K and back to where it is. Too, yeah. Right? Well, yeah, I think that's that's kind of been the driver as well, where anyone who was a dick has become more of a dick. Um, and anyone <laughs> and anyone who is genuine, a, a genuine person seems to have just become more genuine over that course. Uh, that's that's just how I feel about about the space. But those are definitely the two things. It's it's all based on the community because it's unlike any other, you know, the traditional financial market. Don't, markets don't have a community like this and i've been trading in them as well um you know in 2015 so i it's just not the same but it's just the the emotional maturity is there in those markets and here and definitely. i mean you, and you, you mentioned it in the book as well everyone isn't cut out to be a trader you know and that's no. because of the emotional uh the emotional intelligence that most people just don't possess they, they don't know how to how to control yeah. that how to maintain that yeah definitely and i think with with trading specifically, especially short-term trading, it's just a different ball game, and most people don't have enough. Like even in their day-to-day -day lives, they don't have control of their emotions. So how do they think they're going to be emotionally stable when it comes to m adding in money and and potentially life-changing money on top of that? Potentially life-changing money. So I think, especially in this space, it's definitely better for a a newbie to come in. You know stick with as i say all the time stick with money that you can afford to lose and begin in sort of a, a position trader long-term speculator sort of position you don't have to be a three to five year investor but you know the longer you have your sort of horizons the better it's going to be for you and the less emotional you're going to be so let's let's dig into that a bit because i, I know you've you've laid this out 
on previous podcasts and the book a little bit, but talk about someone who is new to the market. Let's say I'm, I'm brand new. Today's the day. And I've got, I've got a thousand dollars or pounds of, of fresh powder to, to put in. What's, yeah. what am I doing? So I think if you're 100% certain that that thousand dollars or pounds is disposable income, then great. Then you can start with that. I think that's the most important point is you have to make sure that it, it should seem like, oh, I'm just, you know, buying, buying a coat. I'm buying a fancy coat. That's all it is. That's what you should, how you should look at that money because it could go to zero, especially in this market. So it has to seem like it's, you know, I can throw, not throw away, but I can, I can invest that thousand pounds and if it doesn't work out it's going to make no difference to my rent my living conditions my family nothing like that and that's the most important point to begin with which 95 percent of people are going to ignore um and then from that point i think it's it's important to gain some sort of foundational knowledge about the space because that's one thing i didn't have to begin with i i'm i mean i'm still you know very illiterate in terms of technology, I find it. I have to read things multiple times in order to to grasp, um, especially on the sort of security, you know, cryptography, that sort of thing. That still eludes me. Um, or and, and yeah, and I, I think that's the most important thing to kind of get to grips with to begin with because it's the foundation of this space. Um, and then from that point, you can make sound investment decisions because you, you understand the tech and the market. Um, and I think the next step from there would be to determine, you know, what sort of time horizon you're looking at. Because if you're coming in right out, right at the gate going, oh, I want to be a day trader, 99% chance you're going to lose your money. Um, so, the, you know, I would say the best thing, I think the, th the thing that I've fallen into now and that I found, find most comfortable sort of position trading where you're in for like one maybe two market cycles and that's you know six to 12 months for the most part um and i, I find that's a good happy medium where you're not in it forever uh, but you're also not in it too short a period that the volatility just kills you um so yeah that, I, I think those are the three most important things and then from there you're obviously just looking at refining skills in terms of technical and fundamental analysis which i think comes with experience um more than anything else now assuming that you have that money to lose it's more of a risk on approach if you will uh how are you allocating that with regards to large mid micro cap coins yeah so this i think this is a the point at which many people might have uh or many people might take opposition with me go because, full shitcoin that's it just 100%. yeah yeah 100 just buy everything <laughs> Everything under a hundred thousand dollar market cap, just put it all into that. No, I think um, I'm of the mind that if you're secure enough in your um, in your personality and your ability to to remain disciplined, then that original money you you can be a lot more risk on with it, especially if it's completely disposable income. When you have a thousand pounds that you're willing to just you know throw away on volatile volatile markets like that's basically what it is then i think that you should go full hog you know low caps micro caps stuff that's going to very quickly grow your capital and then as those investments start to grow and your portfolio grows in size make an equal reduction in your risk level so just keep keep reducing risk as your capital grows and i think that's the best approach 
but obviously that can bring in some bad habits if you start with a thousand pounds and you start putting in 25% into a low cap because you're like, well, it's only 250 pounds if I lose it all. Um, but it could be, you know, 25,000 pounds if, if it goes, you know, whatever hundred hundreds of percent. So I think that's, that's the, the sort of caveat is you, you do have to know yourself in order to realize, am I going to build a bad habit that I then can't break or am I strong enough um, emotionally to begin like that and then know that I'll be able to reduce risk as I go on. Nice. So going into trading a little deeper, what are some of your favorite indicators that you use? I don't actually use any indicators at all. Um, I, <laughs> I mean, like actually, that's, that's a lie. I do, I do occasionally look at the 200-day moving average and the 360-day moving average, and it's not that I base anything on it. It's just curiosity. I'm like, okay, so this is what people tend to look at in terms of long-term positions. So I might as well look at it. Um, but no, I don't use any indicators whatsoever. It's purely price and volume that I'm looking at. So what, <laughs> what like horizontal resistances and supports, right? I yeah, mean, or, yeah, yeah, pretty much. It's just I, I tend to use horizontal support and resistance for the vast majority of my my charting. I mean, if you look through my Twitter feed, there's some sort of like um, more advanced price action concepts like order blocks, which I learned from ICT. And then just other things that that are a little bit more advanced that you can find anywhere on on the web. But I think the vast majority of my stuff is just finding long term support and resistance levels, you know, accumulation channels where price has been constricted for a long time. Um, and then also looking at volume to see whether I'm, you know, spotting accumulation or distribution at those levels. Sure. Sorry, we have a buddy who's going to be so excited to have heard you say that because he's been <laughs> singing that for for the last six months or so to us. And uh, I mean, he, he's got a very good hit rate when it comes to his trades. So yeah, it's, true. Big it's, time. it's not that, um, it's not that I have anything against indicators and I used to be very anti indicator because, you know, I just thought it was just fluff that you didn't need, but uh, it's, it's just it's like anything, whatever works for someone works for that person. So if your strategy is successful with indicators, then great, continue doing that. But for me, it's just, an excess that I don't need on the chart. Everything I need to know is in the price and the volume. Um, and that, that works for me. So I tend to keep it as simple as possible. And it can almost be discouraging. I think for some people that feel that they're, they're getting told, Oh my gosh, I need to learn all these, all these things. I need to learn Fibonacci, yeah. Fibonacci in it for me. And they look complicated. Oh my God. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Right. I agree with that. It gets discouraging. And when you could break it down and simplify your strategy, for me personally, it's actually helped the less, the less things I look for and just keep it simple, the more success I've had. Definitely. Sim simple is always the most effective. And I think um, despite the fact that most indicators aren't complicated, the way they're visualized on a, on a chart makes them look complicated to someone who is inexperienced. And I just think it's not necessary. Um, for that person to go in thinking, shit, I'm never going to learn all of this stuff. Yeah, we, we had a private conversation the other day and I, someone had posted a chart that I'd pulled off and it almost looked like a, like a visual that someone would, would look at when they were uh, tripping. So yeah, there's just yeah, so, crazy. so many different <laughs> colors and, and patterns going on everywhere. People, people go in with their charts. On, oh my God, on Twitter, some of, the, some of the people who have like 
seven indicators and they've got every single color, color from the rainbow. It's crazy. I'm like, well, how, what are you seeing there? <laughs> that's crazy, man. <laughs> so, all right. So that's the, the TA side of things. When it comes to just the, the FA on the, the micro caps, where are you, where are you looking for, for these projects? Where are you getting these projects, picking them up as far as exchanges? Uh, and, you know, obviously yeah. it's a, a half percent or, or so of your portfolio that's going into each one. Yeah. So the, the, the fundamental tends to begin with some form of coin screener website, like coin market cap is obviously the biggest one, but also there's um, bit screener, there's coin lib, there's loads of websites that you can use dependent on which take your, your fancy or your preference. And I, I tend to use coin market cap for them for the most part. And then once I've kind of whittled those down by, by the parameters I was talking about earlier, in terms of actually analyzing them, the first point of, of reference for me is Bitcoin talk threads because it has all the information I need to know um, regarding, well, you know, you've got, you get a good sense of community on there because you have mm -hmm. pages of, of history, which you can read through and conversation and dialogue. Um, then you have uh, information usually on the actual first page of the announcement on the, the coin supply, all of the different metrics for that total max current. Um, you have the, block reward schedule so you can figure out the inflation rate and the supply emission rate which is very important for my trades i don't really want to be going i don't want to start um the marathon you know 20 miles behind everyone else so i right. tend to to look at um coins most most of the time that have very low inflation rates unless they're brand new in which case obviously it's very difficult to find one that's not going to inflate rapidly but if it, you know if it's been around for six months or longer um inflation rate or supply emission rate tends to be quite a significant component of my analysis and then i'm also looking at uh block explorers because i'm i'm trying to you know monitor the rich list for accumulation or distribution um so i'm looking at the top holders and and their activity and monitoring that over you know a week or two and seeing how that changes over that time and then I'm also looking at, in terms of the actual project itself, what I'm looking at is do the do the developers hit their deadlines? Because I think that's quite important. Um, and are the community active around the project? Do, are they willing to help? Are they um, Do they seem dedicated? Because if that de developer leaves, are they willing to then take that step and, and take over the project and, you know, bring someone else in from the community? Because what you don't want is a project to be doing so great and then the developer leaves, but there's no strong community around it and it just all falls to pieces. So that all being said, uh, are there any micro cap coins that you would care to, to mention that are that are some favorites or, or maybe not micro cap since that might have some influence on on price action? But uh, what, what are you looking at right now? What are some of the projects that you like? Um, hmm. I like, it's not really a micro cap, it's probably more of a low cap right now, um, but I like co-vesting and weirdly enough, it was an ICO. I, I don't really invest in ICOs ever. I've only ever invested in two or three, um, one of which was Mothership, which I'm still in, um, and also then co-vesting. Um, Just and, to jump in real quick, why, why yeah. do you avoid ICOs? I think they have extra baggage that I'm not willing to, to contend with, um, gotcha. you know, you, you you start from a, but as I say, there's an abundance of opportunities in this space and it just doesn't make sense to me 
to have to deal with all the extra shit that ICOs have. Sure. Um, yeah. So, I, I, but you know, one project I'm really bullish on is Covesting, which is basically just a, a, a social trading platform. But their team seems very, very dedicated, um, and their CEO is on the ball all the time, talking to the community. There's like a, a big community that's formed around it. So I'm 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 happy with that at the moment, uh, and I think that's probably trading around ten million dollar market cap, um, whatever that is in in BTC. Um, and then on the you know the other end, the much lower end, I like um, BitCloud, which is a masternode. It's a very simple masternode and uh, staking project that you know there's not really much special about it in any way. But they have a dev team that's working on things, and you know it's it's down to so I think it's like an eight hundred thousand dollar market cap. And oh, the BTC, yeah, and the BTC price is down to like three hundred satoshis from like five thousand. So wow. I've been buying under a thousand. So obviously, if I'm buying at a thousand, you're like seventy percent down. But it doesn't really matter because it's still half a percent of the portfolio. So you know, but at these prices, I'm thinking it's quite a decent project. The teams teams working well on it, and it's got a community. So why not? Why not take a stab at that? Um, just to just to ask because you yeah. mentioned buying under a thousand satoshis with that half a percent how are you laddering in it depends on the on the order book that that's one thing that's dependent on the order book if i if i see a big sort of sell wall that's up then i'm like oh i can take a bite out of that then i'll i'll just mark it by at that price um or if you know it's a very thin book and I'd have to push the price up in order to get the position filled. Then I'm micro buying, you know, small amounts every day for weeks in order to build the position or I'm setting orders um, lower in the, in the order book in order to wait for those to get filled. I think it's just a combination of all three, depending on the project. Interesting. And, yeah. And right now, would you say, would, is your strategy the same for buying into things like master nodes? Cause I know right now it looks like there are some remarkable prices on some master nodes that some people had bought in for. A yeah. I think it's, I think it's like the best time to start scaling into stuff like that. Only if they're fundamentally sound projects, obviously you don't want to buy a master node that then just dies off entirely. Of course, of course. But, you know, you've got, you've got even, right dash the one of the the biggest masternode coin um is i think it's masternode is down in price like 80 percent. it is yeah so you know if you've got 27 btc to spend on a masternode <laughs> might be a decent place to start um but yeah i think there's a lot of opportunity in that in that sort of environment um yeah i think another one is alco a-l-q-o um that's got a very active developer team i think they they fucked up with something um and the price kind of crashed after my entry i was like oh yeah i've just just bought in at like 2800 satoshis or something and now it's at 1500 fuck cue the dump <laughs> yeah um but they i think they missed one of their deadlines and that caused a, a dump but they've been active on their project for like a year since basically since its inception um, and there's a big community around it. Um, so that's one that's, you know, that's a master node project that I'm, I'm involved in. Uh, and I think that's a, you know, like a million dollar market cap as well. Um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of opportunity in that space. Definitely. Um, as for other micro caps, one that I, I really like, and that seems to have held up well so far, um, touch wood 
is Gridcoin, which is obviously an old proof of work coin mm. from 2014 um, in the science sector, uh, science and research. And, you know, that's been sitting between 350 to 400 Satoshis for like the last two months. It's, it's not really been affected by anything so far. Um, so I think that's quite a good sign. It might obviously still continue to um, sort of bleed off, but it's had a very, it's had a very slow and um, not so volatile bleed compared to other micro caps in that sort of range. So that's one I'm bullish on. So when you're uh, when you're going to get these micro caps, I know they're not not readily available on major exchanges. Uh, what is what does the risk tolerance look like going on to some of these smaller exchanges? How are you setting up for proper security? What, what does that look like? Yeah, see, that's that's one of my my things as well, where I, I am so cautious of what exchanges I go on that it actually, that's another way that my list gets filtered down because I won't go on to certain exchanges in order to buy coins. Um, I tend to, you know, in terms of the, the low liquidity, low market cap exchanges, I don't really go much further than trade over because, and the only reason I went on to trade over is because I had friends in the space who kind of not vouched for it, but said they, they had a good experience on it and had been using it for, for months. Yeah, it's great. So yeah. So I've recently incorporated that. Um, but other than that, like literally Cryptopia and Live Coin, they were like the only two, um, and Coin Exchange, but that, that exchange seems to have died off and there's not really much going on there. But those three were were the three sort of low cap exchanges that that I was on, and you know they're not really low cap exchanges; they're kind of prominent. I don't tend to go for anything that's that's not been vetted by the community for a long time. Fair, that's good, yeah. man. Well, so I know that uh, as we wrap things up here, um, you shared a lot of amazing content. I think that there's a ton of value that this will add to people. One of the questions that we always like to get answered, we ask everyone, uh, we want to get a better understanding of why you're doing what you're doing. What What's the what's the motivating factor, the drive for you to continue in the space and to keep doing what you're doing on a day in, day out basis? I think when I first, not when I first, when I came back to the space in 2017, as I say in the book, I was like in my overdraft, having burnt through the money I made in 2014 and 15, on university living costs and, and that sort of stuff. Um, so when I came back in 2017, I was like, right, this is somewhere that I know I can make money without actually having to get a shit part-time job. Um, so that was, you know, that was the driving force. And then as the year went on and it was a great year and then we got to 2018 and January was even more crazy. Um, and I managed to claw back everything that I'd lost after the hack in October. Um, so I was in a really good space in January and, you know, cashed out a significant amount, not in, not as much as everyone would like to, but a significant amount. Um, and now it's kind of like, I'm, I'm still, the money motivation is gone because I have the security um, and the, the motivation of writing the book, which was to educate as many people as I could with whatever little or large amount of knowledge that people think I have, um, whatever whatever I could do to help. Um, that was the point of the book. And now that's over as well. I'm still, for some reason, interested in the space, which tells me that I have a genuine passion for what it is and where it's going. And I think for me now, um, you know, I've, I've started the sort of website blog thing. I've not really been writing on there much recently, but that's something that I, I want to push and, and make an extension of the book where I'm 
constantly providing something that can help even just one person understand the market a little bit better and get to the position that I've been fortunate enough to get to. Um, so I think that's kind of my driving factor at the moment. Um, and it was very obvious to me that I wanted to remain in the space after I'd secured enough enough money for the next few years and still was like, oh, I still want to be in the space. I still want to be doing doing things to do with crypto. Um, that was, you know, that was the point where I was like, okay, maybe doing some sort of blog where you're providing free content that people can, you know, read it there sure. at their own at their own leisure and hopefully get something out of. Um, that was that was the idea behind that, and I'm going to push that definitely over the next sort of six to twelve months. Awesome, man. Well, <clears throat> I know that there's probably one or two people listening that are that are creatives uh, that maybe haven't made the leap, haven't taken the step. What, what's your what's your words of encouragement or your advice that you would give to someone who has it inside of them but just struggles with getting getting that creative creativity out? I think. I think I, I share a similar level of sort of, you know, for people who are creative, they they often have a lot more ideas than they can physically get out. But that kind of is a form of paralysis where you then get no ideas out and you get no work done because you're like, well, I have so much to say in, in so many different areas, but, oh, shit, what, what am I supposed to begin with? Oh, have I prepared enough for it? The best advice I've ever gotten is just do it. Just start something. And once you've actually taken that difficult step to just begin, everything starts to snowball very quickly and you build some sort of routine and then that routine routine becomes very difficult to break. You know, now I'm in the swing of things, I find it quite difficult not to be writing on a daily basis or not to be doing something creative on a daily basis because I've now been in this, this mode for over a year. Um, whereas before that, I was like, wait, I want to write this book, but I also want to do this. And, and I was just pushing everything off. Um, and then I was like, you know what? I'll just write the first 300 words. And as soon as I did that, it's like, bam, you're through some sort of wall. And that's when everything starts to pick up the pace. Nice. So what's what's next for you? Now that the market is getting to the point where it's at and we're at a bunch of uncertainty, you have your successful book. What do yeah, you have I coming think up? I think for me, um, as as I said, I, I want to want to definitely shape this blog a little bit and and get as much out on there as I can. But over the past sort of six weeks, I've kind of been in a leisurely mode where I'm just kind of knocking off books from my reading list and stuff that personal projects that I've I've wanted to do. And I think that will still continue over the next couple of months as I kind of decompress from the nine months I spent writing the book. Um, where I was focused on crypto for like 11 hours a day. Um, so for me, it's like right now I'm kind of more sort of towards the side of, you know, just do the things that you enjoy outside of crypto and then slowly get back into it, in, in into those sort of 10 to 11 hour days of, of working on crypto. Um, but that is definitely something I want to I wanna push. I want to have it so that, you know, sort of early next year I'm – putting out maybe six six blog posts, you know, lengthy blog posts a month. That would be great. Um, in terms of personal things, I have like 250 books on my reading list that I need to start cracking through. So <laughs> you better get started, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm trying, I'm like at the moment because I have all the time in the world. Um, I'm getting like two books a week nearly done. Uh, but it's just, there's so many that I, I want to read. Um, but then I also don't want to 
keep spending the sort of six hours, seven hours a day at the moment um, that I am reading, you know, as the as sort of winter time comes and I think the reversal starts to come, those hours are going to get cut down because I'm going to want to be spending more time in crypto. I think it's just trying to find a balance really. But right now I'm just enjoying myself. Well, dude, I'll tell you, there's a, there's one book that I, I try to read it a couple times a year. It takes about an hour and a half to read. Uh, it's called The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. Oh, uh, yeah, that's on my list. Yeah, it is. It's phenomenal. Very fast read. Um, yeah. But I, I think you'll I think you'll really enjoy it. just I think you know, I think I'll, I'll really enjoy that as well. I, I heard about that on uh, Joe Rogan's podcast. Yeah. Um, and I added that to my my reading list because that sounds like my sort of thing. Oh, that's a great podcast. That's one of my favorites myself. That and yeah, it's have, great. You heard, have you heard of Aubrey Marcus? Yeah, Aubrey's Aubrey's is great as well. Yeah. So, dude, you know, obviously we we want to make sure that everyone understands that your book. I mean, we're thankful that you've taken the the nine months to write the book that you did because it's. I mean, it is an it's an invaluable resource. I think there's a lot of people in the space that if they haven't read it, read it, they need to pick it up and start now. Um, and you know, for those that don't know where to find it, we'd love for you to just uh, fill us in. How can they find you? How can they get the book? Um, let us know. Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter, just at Cointrader Nick. And the book is on Amazon, whichever country that you're in will have some form of, of the book, whether it's the Kindle or the paperback edition. And uh, I think there's some problems at the moment on the um, the Crypto Emporium, which is my like sole crypto-based distributor. <clears throat> uh, I think they're migrating their servers and they've had some issues. But if you want to pay in crypto, um, that's one website that will, will take that. But Amazon is definitely the best place. Awesome. So you heard it here first. Nick Patel has inked a partnership with Amazon. Uh, crypto style announcement right there. Uh, <laughs> no, but Nick, honestly, thank you so much for coming on the show. Really it's all good, man. Thank you for having me. Uh, and for for those of you who are listening, we'd love for you to find us on iTunes, the Crypto Commission podcast. You can leave us a five star review and your comments. And also uh, you can check out our telegram. That's t.me forward slash crypto underscore commission. Uh, it's been fun. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us, Nick. I uh, hope you have an awesome day. Thanks, man. Thank you. Thanks, Nick.